Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Feel free to subscribe and tell your friends. Coming up on today's show, conservative leader Andrew Scheer joins us and we ask him about the Doug Ford effect. An exclusive poll from Ipsos for Global News says that the Ethics Committee report has not moved the needle because it already did prior to that. More confirmation. And the father of Jihadi Jack, who was recently stripped of his UK citizenship for alleged Syrian terrorist involvement, says he'll be pressuring politicians to help his son get into Canada. An update on the two BC murder suspects and the cell phone record they left of their last will and testament. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Joining us now is Andrew Scheer, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, and he is with us now. Andrew, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, so a new Ipsos poll out conducted exclusively for Global News says the Liberals and the Conservatives are in a dead heat. This was taken after the Ethics Commissioner uh, released his report on the SNC, Jody Wilson-Raybould scandal. Are you concerned or, or how do you feel about the fact that when this story first broke, we were talking about it like every single day for weeks. It doesn't seem as if the Ethics Report or the conclusion has resonated as much with Canadians. Do you, do you think it has resonated with Canadians as much as the initial story? Uh, Well, I do, uh, because I think what we have here is uh, something more uh, just as compelling. Uh, What we have is a a finding of fact by an independent officer of parliament who has said that Justin Trudeau broke the law. And he didn't just break the law. He orchestrated a campaign to undermine and discredit the attorney general. And at his office, we're in constant uh, communication with the defendant in a criminal court case, while they're at the same time putting pressure on the prosecution. Uh, unbeknownst to the Attorney General. So we believe that rises to the level of obstruction of justice, and we've asked the RCMP to take a look. But at the end of the day, this is about credibility. Justin Trudeau has told lies. He has looked Canadians in the eye and said that uh, the stories were false, that he never put pressure on Jody Wilson-Raybould, and we now know that's, that's just false. He was saying things that he knew not to be true. So come election time, he has no credibility when, it, when he's making his promises, when he's attacking me, uh, people will know that he's literally prepared to say anything for political purposes. Are you surprised that these polls don't better reflect that, considering it was taken after after the Ethics Commissioner report? Has this story run its course, or have people made up their minds and this was just confirmation of it either way? Well, I, I, tr- I don't put too, too much stock into polling. There's only one poll that counts, and that's the one on Election Day. I can tell you that when I talk to people, when I look at the, the, the communications people have provided to me, whether they're calling or emailing my office, I was out door knocking last night in Oakville, Ontario. It's coming up. People are talking about it. People are aware of the fact that uh, Trudeau has you know, looked down the barrel of the camera and said something that he knew not to be true. Uh, so I do believe that this will have an impact. And it, at the end of the day, it's all about who Justin Trudeau is in this for. And it's quite clear that he was working very hard to help corporate executives at SNC-Lavalin get ahead. He was willing to break the law and bend the rules for them. Uh, we're in this. We're going to help hardworking Canadians get ahead. So I think it shows that Trudeau can't be trusted, and it shows where his priorities are and where he will protect trust fund millionaires while going after small business owners, while he will cut checks to millionaire owners of Loblaws and and protect S&C Lavalin, we will lower taxes for all Canadians, make life more affordable for Canadians so they can get ahead and not just get by. At what point, at one point you asked for the Prime Minister's resignation, uh, ethics commissioner report is one thing, a criminal case another. Are you concerned? Some may view this as over the top. 
Well, I uh, I believe I've been uh, validated for my call for him to resign. Uh, I called on him to resign when we found out that he told things that weren't true to Canadians. When he when he looked at down the barrel of the camera and spoke to 33 million Canadians, and he lied. Uh, I believe that's that, that in and of itself. Uh, you know, means that someone has lost the moral authority to govern. When we look at, uh, you know, uh, just a few years ago in, in provinces and in this country and other Commonwealth countries, uh, prime ministers have resigned for things exactly like this. And if Trudeau had any decency and any respect for the office that he holds, uh, he would get out of the way and, and allow the Liberal Party to, to, to rebuild and to try to move past this. Uh, but we're going to find out tomorrow how deep this rot has set in. The Ethics Committee is meeting tomorrow, and Trudeau has used his his power to shut down previous parliamentary investigations. So now it's going to be up to Liberal MPs on that committee to decide if they're going to put the country ahead of their party, if they're going to try to send the message to Justin Trudeau that uh, he, he they will hold him responsible for his actions. Uh, so we're going to see tomorrow. Uh, a vote will be held on whether or not to further investigate this matter, have the Ethics Commissioner appear, uh, perhaps others. Uh, and I'm hopeful that Liberal members will do the right thing, but I'm not going to hold my breath too, too long. Uh, the Prime Minister has been campaigning through Southern Ontario and comparing you to Doug Ford. Uh, uh, will he be helping you in this campaign? Uh, how are you... Are, different or the same as Doug Ford? Are you concerned he could cost you the election? Look, I know that people in Ontario know what happens when you have 10 to 15 years of liberal mismanagement and waste. And when I talk to people here in Ontario, they're very aware that the Kathleen Wynne and Delta McGuinty Liberals left a huge mess. And I remind them that the people who were responsible for that, the staff, the advisors, the planners, uh, they all moved to Ottawa, and they're helping Justin Trudeau do the same thing. So my message to the people of Ontario is we can prevent what uh, the mess that was created in Ontario from being made at the federal level if we limit Justin Trudeau to just one term. And people understand that. They know what's at stake in this election. Uh, and they see that Justin Trudeau would rather run his campaign against anybody other than myself because he has he himself has a terrible record, and uh, he knows that people are buying into our positive conservative message. Uh, last question. I know time is tight. Are you concerned that not enough, uh, or that not enough Canadians know who you are? Therefore, the opposition can paint the narrative. An example, uh, pointing out that you're not walking side by side with them uh, in in a pride parade. Uh, are you concerned about them painting the narrative? Uh, no, it's it's always a challenge for whoever the leader of the opposition is to to get as much attention as the prime minister. The prime minister can show up tomorrow morning and literally do anything, and he has all the national cameras there. Uh, and uh, the, le- the leader of the opposition, no matter who it is, and no matter what party is in opposition, uh, has to work extra hard to do just that. I'm very pleased with uh, the progress that we've made. When I compare this summer to my first summer, in terms of recognition, people understanding what our uh, focus is. I had people at the doors last night say, uh, you're the party that's going to help me get ahead. And I said, that's exactly right. So that message is resonating. It's getting, it's getting uh, awareness. And once the election officially starts, uh, then all party leaders will be put on the same level, same equal playing field. And that'll be my opportunity to, to really connect with those voters that are uh, you know, starting to pay more attention as the election comes closer. Does that mean you'll appear in a pride parade? Look, there's a lot of different ways to uh, support equality rights in, in Canada. And uh, I myself have a motion uh, in the House of Commons to ensure that the government does more to help 
people are being discriminated against because of their sexual orientation. Uh, that's the way that, that that's one of the ways I'm I'm choosing to show my support. We've got lots of members of our caucus who do march. Uh, it's, I'm proud to live in a country where people have that right to express themselves and to, uh, to, to where we have that freedom of speech. I will work tirelessly to protect those rights, those equality rights for all Canadians. Andrew Shear has been with us, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Andrew, thank you so much for the time. And if one day you become prime minister, promise you'll come back. I do. I make that promise here and now. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. We were just talking uh, in the last segment with uh, Conservative Leader of Canada, Andrew Scheer. Uh, had him for about seven minutes in an interview, took your questions and uh, and calls afterwards, of course. And this all centers around the SNC, or did SNC-Lavalin, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould scandal, uh, which, of course, dates back months. Remember when it all broke and uh, the Attorney General was removed from her position and then eventually booted right out altogether. Uh, this really resonated with Canadians and did for a tremendous amount of time. It seemed every day there was another angle to it. And as Andrew Shear said, the Ethics Commissioner, or the Ethics Committee will, uh, uh, of course, delve into this, but I don't think we're going to see the sort of production that we did last time, especially as we head into uh, the next federal election. That being said, uh, the uh, the head of the Conservative Party of Canada has said he wants to bring the RCMP in to look at all of this, trying to keep the story alive. Here's what he had to say. In light of both the Ethics Commissioner's finding and the revelations about the RCMP's previous involvement, I have formally requested the RCMP take another look. My letter to Commissioner Lukey today presents what I believe are significant grounds for an investigation into whether or not Justin Trudeau violated Section 139 of the Criminal Code obstructing justice. Now, we know that Justin Trudeau has broke the law. Now we need to know if he has committed a crime. All right, despite all of that, uh, many were waiting for poll numbers coming out post uh, release of the Ethics Commissioner report, which of course confirmed that there was undue pressure put on the Attorney General's office and Jody Wilson-Raybould. An exclusive poll for Global News uh, with Ipsos appears to indicate last week's report by the Ethics Commissioner on the SNC-Lavalin case isn't having much influence over voters. To talk more about all of this, Daryl Bricker is with us, the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, and is on the line with us now. Daryl, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Uh, are you surprised at these results? Are you surprised considering how this story dominated the news way back when, before the Ethics Commissioner's report came out, that this hasn't resonated more with Canadians, or has it? Well, actually, I, it, I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. And that's because uh, uh, the last time around, it was a fairly unprecedented collapse. So, you know, one hypothesis would be it would have a similar impact to the one that it had back in February. But what appears to be the situation is that these numbers are now baked in. The, the, the effect of SNC is baked in. Uh, all it did over the last week or so the, the, with the release of the Ethics Commissioner's report was just reinforce opinions that people already had rather than moving anything uh, to any great degree. The one thing that it did do, though, is if the Liberals were on, in the process of recovering and their numbers were getting better, it seems to have stalled that. So what we have right now is a slight conservative lead, and, uh, you know, if an election were held tomorrow, or at least our numbers are suggesting that it would probably be a conservative, uh, they would win the plurality of seats. Whether they would form the government is another question. So did the SNC-Lavalin-Jody Wilson-Raybould scandal hurt the Liberals then? 
Yeah, I think it did, because if they were in the process of recovering, so remember, uh, over the space of the last month or so, maybe even two months, the, the Liberals have been on the, uh, on, on the rink all by themselves. I mean, all of the media attention has been on them. They've been making tons and tons and tons of announcements. Uh, the Prime Minister has been you know, on television basically just about every day. Uh, trying to change the channel and get some momentum, doing all the things that parties do pre-election. But it seems not to have really moved their numbers substantially. One of the impacts of that is likely uh, this particular scandal. The other thing that we've noticed is even though the vote hasn't moved that much, the prime minister's approval level has come down even more. The government's approval level has come down even more, a couple of more points from the last time we were in, in field in July. And the deserve to re-elect numbers for the government, which were up around 36, which weren't great, are now down to 33. So I think that's where the effect has been, rather than actually on the vote numbers right now. Um, so are, are what you, is what you're saying the public response to this ethics report is, we knew all that, we didn't need the confirmation? Yeah, but, but I still don't like what I'm seeing, is basically what they're saying. But yeah. uh, if, if the Conservatives were thinking that this was going to get them uh, you know, into the position where they were going to get a majority and and that the you know everything was moving their way, and we're going to have a, a relapse in February. That hasn't happened. Uh, you talked about uh, post SNC Lavalin scandal, but before the Ethics Committee report, uh, it seemed as if uh, the Liberals had bottomed out, and they were trying, they were starting to swoop up or recover again, as you put it. Um, how how long will this Ethics Commissioner report slow that recovery? Well, I think this will be one of those things that we won't hear the end of until we get to the. Uh, past the next election campaign. So uh, even if there's, a, you know, parliamentary bodies and other things that, uh, um, that are, uh, you know, not are having reports or other things that are going to happen, the opposition parties are certainly going to be reminding the public of it. Uh, how, uh, let's talk about results across the country. How do, uh, depending upon where you are, how do opinions vary on the Prime Minister? Well, Western Canada basically belongs to the Conservatives, yeah. all the way to the Manitoba-Ontario border, including in British Columbia, where we have the Conservatives in the lead again. Ontario, Conservatives with a slight lead, about uh, about two points or three points, but leading in the 905, which is really why um, their, their competitive position is really strong. We get to Quebec. It's the only place in the country where the Liberals, with the exception of Atlantic Canada, still lead. Uh, but uh, it's a tight race there, and in Atlantic Canada... Uh, the Liberals are lower than they were uh, in the last election, but certainly doing better than they were in our last poll. How has the SNC-Lavalin scandal and the Prime Minister's handling of it resonated in Quebec? Uh, it seems to probably have improved the, uh, the perceptions of the Prime Minister and the government a little bit. I mean, it's, it's basically a hometown fight for them. So somebody's standing up for a you know, substantial company for Quebec. So it's working for him in Quebec, yeah, which is where the joke is. working ju- yeah. for him, yeah. along with the collapse of the NDP. Uh, many have to, we, we just had Andrew Shear on uh, a few minutes ago, and we asked him about the Doug Ford factor, the Prime Minister coming in and campaigning in Southern Ontario and, and comparing Doug Ford to, to Andrew Shear. And if, if Doug Ford or Andrew Shear is elected, it's more of Doug Ford. Does that factor into any of what you see in Ontario? Uh, hard to say at this stage of the game. Really hard to say at this stage of the game. And as we get closer to the, uh, the federal election really does start to kick off and the leaders all start getting equivalent levels of coverage. I think Doug Ford will be less of a factor, although, you know, the Liberals are going to try and make it an awful lot of a factor, and so are the NDP. So we'll see how that fight goes. 
Uh, as you said, it, you know, depending upon where you go across the country, uh, the numbers represent uh, the regions you mentioned out west, et cetera. Are, 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 are all these numbers as solid as they could be going into an election, or are there still areas open for uh, discussion, still areas up in the air? Well, we're seeing pat- regional patterns start to lock in, but this is going to be a very competitive, potentially volatile election. Uh, and, uh, you know, at this stage of the game, it's really any, it's, it's really anybody's to win. Uh, so what one would expect, you know, having the biggest rock star in Canadian politics that we've seen since his father, that he should be really, really strong against the Conservatives. And if you talk to international audiences, you know, uh, and you go abroad and you talk to them about what's happening in Canadian politics, they can't quite believe it. Uh, so the government has found itself mostly due to its own making in a very competitive election. Explain what you just said. Uh, most surprised considering where he's been, what he's done, where he is. What do you mean? Well, you know, he's, uh, as, as far as politicians uh, go in, in Canadian history, we've not really seen anybody who's had this level of celebrity power, uh, this level of attention, mm-hmm. this ability to uh, kind of captivate Canadians the way that, particularly in the last election campaign, that we saw from Justin Trudeau. I um, mean, certainly didn't see it from Stephen Harper. You certainly didn't see it from Paul Martin. You certainly didn't see it from John Cretchen. And we could go back through the list. So he was pretty unique. And in this yeah. modern telegenic age, hmm. in which personalities like that really matter in politics, and an ability to communicate the way, the way that he can with authenticity, at least in 2015, that ability uh, to find himself where he is, tells you how disappointing it's been for the, this first term has been for Canadians. Hmm. Uh, talking about charisma and obviously the, um, uh, the vast difference between the personalities of Scheer and Trudeau, um, and, and as you said, the, the, the first election campaign with, with the Prime Minister, it was sunny ways, it was happy, it was positive. Uh, it, it looks like this election is going to be a bit more uh, negative. Could the charisma, could the showmanship... Could all of that come back to haunt him versus the dull guy next door in Sheer? At the end, could people say, or, would you, or do you think people may say, you know what, I, I don't need any more of the showbiz. I just need somebody who can who can get it done and, and isn't perhaps a lightweight. For conservative voters, it's absolutely the case. That they don't respond well to charisma. They don't especially like politicians. Progressive voters need to love, they need to hope, they need to be inspired. And a leader like Justin Trudeau does that for them. The problem that they, but he's, he's experiencing with these voters, though, is that he continues to do the same kinds of things, you know, running around and doing photo bombing, uh, you know, with a shirt off or whatever, uh, all over the country. But before, where well, that looked like new, different, hopeful, progressive, it now looks a little hokey. And that's the kind of what you're getting back from this. So the, the, Trudeau has to find another way to present himself to Canadians. Sure, keep that stuff going. But, uh, he, you know, he's, he's not seen somebody right now as somebody right now by voters as, as, as getting things done. So the question is, can he talk about his record in a way that suggests that people should have a different impression, or can he present himself somewhat differently? The thing about Justin Trudeau is Patrick Brazo found out when he tried to box with him is that this guy prepares. He's, a, he, he, he's a, an absolute diligent campaigner, uh, and he is going to be a difficult candidate, and there's no easy, uh, no easy walk into government for the Conservatives with Justin Trudeau as a leader of the Liberal Party. Getting back to the Ethics Commissioner's report and, and such, uh, the Prime Minister's response is uh, he will not apologize. He will not apologize for trying to save jobs despite the charges of, of bribery and corruption or such. 
uh, and such. Uh, and many have uh, characterized his term as an apology tour. He's he's great for uh, apologizing for the sins of Canadians uh, decades, hundreds of years ago, what have you, but won't apologize for this. Does the justification of jobs outweigh the corruption and bribery? What about the issue of apologies? Well, none of that seems to be working for him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's dug in his heels on this. So, as I said before, people have pretty much formed their opinions of what they think about this issue. What he does from here on in isn't really going to have much of an effect. So I, I suspect they've gone out and done the research and found that out. So uh, we're not going to hear an apology? Uh, I don't think so, anytime soon. And that is a campaign strategy, no doubt? Absolutely. Uh, they're going to fight because they believe that uh, you know the people who are on the other side of this who are criticizing them don't have the best interests of Canada at heart and are doing it for their own partisan reasons and don't really see that those people understand what he was trying to do, which in his words was to save jobs. Uh, we remember the first uh, poli- or the first campaign uh, election campaign, sunny ways, lots of selfies, that sort of thing. Uh, the conservatives countered with he's not ready and a more negative campaign. Uh, now that the tables are switched, can he run the same election campaign? Will we like uh, the Trudeau who's attacking or negative towards Sheer or Doug Ford? Will we like that as much as the sunny ways? campaign. Well, you know, we've seen this twice before. Once was 2004 and once was 2006. And in Ontario, we certainly saw Dalton McGinty run this kind of campaign and Kathleen Wynne this kind of, run this kind of campaign. Sometimes it works, but a lot of times it doesn't. Uh, and when people are really frustrated, trying to scare them doesn't necessarily work the way that you think it, it will. 2006 was a great example federally where Stephen Harper ended up winning and that this campaign absolutely fizzled. Remember, soldiers in our streets with guns, we're not making this up. You know, the Liberals talk, thinking about running ads like that. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. In this current environment, is Andrew Scheer scary enough? Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty big gamble. But it's, it's a pretty, also a fairly sad statement that this is where the Liberal Party finds itself. It's not bragging about all of its accomplishments. It really doesn't feel like it can campaign strongly on its record. It's going to instead it's going to rough up the opponents. Uh, we're still a ways out of the election. Officially, I guess the campaign doesn't start till around Labor Day or post Labor Day. Do you think the PM strategy will change at all? Uh, it, it depends. I mean, it, it, as, as far as it, it'll be driven by what they see in public, their own public opinion research. And for Global, uh, you know, we'll be doing polling all through the campaign. So you'll know what it is that the, the Liberals are seeing. And it'll be entirely predicted based on uh, um, uh, uh, what, what the polling says. And at, at the current moment, uh, it looks like there's a slight conservative lead. The, the Liberals really have to get back on track in the province of Ontario. They need, they need a good, strong lead in the 905 in order to be able to replace the seats that they're probably going to lose in other parts of the country. So I suspect that uh, going really negative, going hard on the Doug Ford question, trying to make uh, Andrew Scheer look like a national Doug Ford is going to be a key element of their strategy. Uh, as as they move forward with this, um, is it a good strategy to to be negative, considering it was a sunny ways campaign? Is this not a different Trudeau than the one we elected way back when? Yeah, it is. A, it is a different Trudeau, and he's become a politician like any other politician, and uh, he's going to do whatever it takes in order to win. 
And if that means uh, giving uh, Andrew Shear a bloody nose, I'm sure he'd be happy to do it for Andrew Shear just as he did for Patrick Brazil. Uh, people have said that, you know, Andrew Shear has not been out in front of the public enough, that he's letting the opposition paint the narrative for him. Is that working? No, it's not. And he has to establish his presence uh, in, with the Canadian public. But as I said before, two things. Uh, one, uh, for conservative voters being, you know, the uh, sort of hyper glitzy type of politician doesn't work for them. They don't like it. So, you know, he's kind of from central casting for uh, con- for conservative voters. The second thing is all of this changes once the uh, once the writ uh, is issued and we get into the, uh, the election campaign, because at that point, uh, all of the leaders will start getting more equal coverage. And Andrew Scheer will have a chance to, to introduce himself. Well, what's going to be especially critical to his campaign will be performance during the debates. It'll be the first time people have really been able to see, head-to-head, unfiltered, Justin Trudeau against the person who says, says that he's uh, most capable of replacing him. And uh, that's why it will be extremely important to watch what happens in the upcoming debates. Can you make Andrew Scheer look mean, considering he, you know, some have compared him to Howdy Doody? Uh, we haven't seen it yet, uh, but you never know. You never know. All right. Uh, Daryl Berker has been with us, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, an exclusive poll for Global News, uh, appears to indicate last week's report by the Ethics Commissioner on the SNC-Lavalin case isn't having much influence. Voters, their minds are pretty much all made up, and this is just confirmation for everything. Uh, Daryl, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The father of a British-Canadian man dubbed Jihadi Jack, who was recently stripped of his UK citizenship, says he'll be pressuring politicians to help get his son into Canada. Uh, The father of the British-Canadian man dubbed Jihadi Jack uh, the father says, we have, of course, uh, we will be because uh, fighting for his defense because every day that we do nothing, he is dying in a jail cell, and we believe he is innocent, and I believe that he has a right to prove that, says the father. Jack Letts from Oxford, UK, uh, being held in jail in northern Syria after being captured by Kurdish forces in 2014. Uh, his father said he believes Jack, a devout Muslim, never joined the Islamic State and thought it was un-Islamic. Uh, Jack's suggestion that he wasn't innocent in an interview with ITV was made under duress, uh, John Lett said. If Jack has done anything wrong, I'll be the first to condemn him publicly, says the father. John Lett said he and his wife uh, found out about a month ago that Jack's British citizenship was being revoked through the news uh, breaking in the UK. He called the development unfair and criticized the UK government for not being able to tell him why. Uh, From Canada's standpoint, Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale's office said Ottawa has no legal obligation to help citizens detained in Syria return to Canada. Uh, We will not expose our consular officials to undue risk in this dangerous part of the world, the statement uh, read issued Sunday. The minister's office also said it it was disappointed that the United Kingdom had taken the uh, unilateral action to offload their responsibilities. Investigating, arresting, charging and prosecuting any Canadian involved in terrorism or violent extremism is our primary objective. They must be held accountable for their actions, says Goodale. Uh, John Letts agrees terrorists need to be held to account, but he called the allegations that his son uh, was an Islamic State member, a knee-jerk assumption. 
that started in the media. If there was any evidence that I felt uh, that made Jack guilty of anything, I really wouldn't be putting my face out in front of a television camera, he told Global News. Uh, Jack Lent's parents, who are both dual Canadian and UK citizens, were found guilty under the UK anti-terrorism laws earlier this year for sending about 350 bucks in September of 2015. They received a uh, suspended sentence. Last year, John Betts visited Canada to advocate for his son with senators, MPs, and government officials. He says, uh, quote, I've now written to the Prime Minister's office and said, please, can we try to resolve the situation? And we're willing to do everything we can to make sure Jack is never in danger and never a threat. Where do you go from here? Let's bring in Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. He is with us now. The website is threatandrisk.com, and Phil is with us now. Phil, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Sorry, borealisthreatandrisk.com is the website. Phil, thanks for the time. Appreciated. Oh, always a pleasure to be on with you, Scott. What is the responsibility of the Canadian government here? Uh, because his parents have dual citizenship, does that make him a Canadian citizen, even though he was born in the U.K.? Well, I'm probably the wrong guy to answer that question, Scott, because I'm certainly not an expert in citizenship issues. But my understanding is, yes, is that he, he is, or rather was a dual citizen. As you noted, the U.K. has stripped him of his citizenship. Um, he's a Canadian, as far as we're concerned, because his father's a Canadian. But, and the more important question is, what is our obligation to him right now? Don't we have and, to know whether he is a Canadian citizen, though, before we can well, even I, proceed with that? I, I'm assuming he is, yeah, because his dad is. Um, but the more important question, Scott. So is, wait a sec. My mother's from Scotland. If Canada, if I do something bad and Canada disowns me, they can ship me back to Scotland, even though I've never been there. <laughs> Maybe we should, Scott. No, I'm exactly. I, no, I, I want to wear the kilt, man. <laughs> the, the, the more important question, and the government seems to be adamant, and I think they're right in this regard. Even if he is, let's assume for the argument's sake that he's a citizen. I haven't checked that, and, and I don't think you right. have either. But we don't know. Let's assume he is. Um, the government does not have an obligation to do anything. They have no legal obligation to get him out of prison in Kurdistan under under Canadian law. Even now, if he's a Canadian citizen, no, why? they do not. There's, okay, there's so, no legal obligation. And why is now, that? And wh- first, let's start there. Why is it? Why, even though if he is a Canadian citizen, uh, or is deemed one, why do we not have a responsibility to get him then? Well, okay, define responsibility versus obligation. Some have argued to me we have a moral responsibility. I'm not sure what that means. Morality seems to change a lot these days. But there's nothing in the criminal code that says Canada must do this. I think the assumption is, Scott, if you're a Canadian and you commit a crime abroad or you're arrested for a crime abroad, you become that other country's problem until such time as you are found innocent or you're convicted, at which point we can maybe extradite you if we have an extradition treaty. But we just can't go around the world rescuing Canadians are being accused of serious crimes in other countries. They have their own laws, they have their own judicial systems, and they have every right to try you under their systems, whether or not we agree with them or not. For example, in Iraq and Syria, they have the death penalty. We don't have that here. But if you don't want to you know, get hanged by the Iraqis, don't commit crimes in Iraq, because that's Iraqi law. I don't agree with it, but that's Iraqi law. The fact that he was born in the UK, even though his parents have dual citizenship, the fact that he was born in the UK and the UK has revoked his citizenship, does that not even strengthen the position that Canada does not have to take him? Or or is it the opposite? Because the country in which he was born has rejected him, then we have to take him. I've never heard... The first argument you just made, I've never heard before, that it actually kind of um, takes more responsibility away. I've heard the other argument that because he now is only a Canadian, we therefore are the only ones that can save him, which is what his father wants, and therefore we have to act. 
I never thought of it from the angle you just said is that, well, hey, the Brits don't want them. I guess we don't want them either. So we wash our hands and we walk away. I don't know what the responsibility is under the criminal code or the Constitution or the Charter. One thing is clear, though. If he, if he somehow makes it back here at some point, we have to let him in because the Charter says a Canadian can leave the country and a Canadian has the right to return. Hmm. Now, interestingly, in the case of Jack, he's not actually returning because he never lived here. He came here as a kid on vacation. And more importantly, from the criminal code perspective, it's uncertain whether we can actually charge him because the criminal code says if you leave Canada to join a terrorist group, that's an offense. He didn't leave Canada to join ISIS. He left the U.K. So a good defense lawyer would say, hey, my client doesn't apply to my client. you got to let him walk free. Hmm. And it doesn't matter that he never lived here? Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, okay, go ahead. No, I, I, that I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like yeah. I said, he, he, he's gained his Canadian citizenship through the very fact that his father is Canadian. He never lived in this country. As I said, I believe I've read that he's vacationed here, but he's not a, a typical Canadian, if I can use that term. But the Charter seems to say because he has citizenship, he has a right to come here. But again, the government doesn't have to make that trip easy for you. And the government has stated quite categorically, we're not going to risk our consular officials safety to send them into a war zone to rescue this guy or any other Canadian for that matter. So Canada's been quite adamant on that front. You can come back, but it's on your dime and under your own power. We're not going to help you. Uh, As you said, uh, uh, the government has stated that it is too dangerous to send consular services in there to help him. Is that legit? Is that an excuse? Uh, Well, I've got friends who've gone to interview people in prison in Kurdistan, and they're Canadian, and they got there, and they got back. I've known journalists who've been in northern northern Iraq and Syria who've interviewed jihadis, and they got there, and they came back. So the safety thing is a little bit of a dodge, I think. But I think more importantly, what the government's trying to say is that, hey, uh, you made your bed. you got to lie in it. You can't come racing to the Maple Leaf just because you've done something wrong and you, you, you want to get a do-over. You want to come out to Canada. What they're saying is that we don't have an obligation to help you there. Uh, it kind of sucks to be you, and maybe you shouldn't have done that in the first place. That seems to be what the government's saying. And does the fact that he hasn't lived here, and I keep splitting this hair, the fact that he doesn't live here, does that, does that back up Goodale's case that we don't have to go in and, and do anything? I mean, especially in the court of public opinion. As you mentioned, it's not like he left here, went there, uh, you know, made some mistakes and, 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 and took the wrong route in life and then came back. He's never lived here. Well, you, you mentioned the court of public opinion, Scott, and there's no question from what I'm hearing. I've done, you know, 20 interviews on this in the past 24 hours. Now, there's no question from the feedback that I'm getting that 99.9999% of Canadians don't want the government to bring him back. So he's already been found guilty in the court of public opinion. Now, you and I are well aware the court of public opinion is not a real court. So, but the government seems to be standing on its, on its, on its hind legs and saying, we don't have a legal obligation to do this. So the question, the question that becomes, do we do it anyway? Canadians don't want us to do this. A small, small percentage that I've talked to think we should do this. I disagree with them. Do we have a moral obligation? I don't know what that means. But the government's going to say, you know what, we're not going to do this. And especially with an election coming up, you want to be a government that moves heaven and earth to bring back an alleged ISIS terrorist two months before we go to the polls? That's political suicide as far as I'm concerned. And how many, and how many other jihadi jacks are there out there? Well, that's a really good question, and we simply don't know. So CSIS has told us there were 200-some-odd Canadians who left to join uh, terrorist groups abroad. Numbers very nebulous. When did they go? What country did they go to? Which group did they fight with? I've heard the stat that about one-third are dead, one-third are still active or in prison abroad, and one-third are back in Canada. 
I'm not sure how accurate those figures are. So we're talking 200 max, but in, in essence, we're talking about 60 or so who are still active or in prison and 60 who are believed to have returned to Canada. Those are the numbers that we have. Can you give uh, this person uh, special treatment and not the others? Another great question. And I would go one further, Scott. So a lot of noise being made about, you know, jihadists and terrorists who are suffering abroad. So if a Canadian gets arrested as a pedophile in Thailand, um, are we going to go to bat for him too and bring him back to Canada? Uh, if a serial rapist is convicted in Brazil or found, you know, arrested in Brazil, are we going to go to bat for him as well? So those that are, you know, maintaining we have to do this for Canadians better be consistent and, and advocate for all Canadians who are being held abroad to bring them back. I don't think I don't see that consistency, to be perfectly honest. Uh, although certainly not related in any way, uh, are Canadians looking at this case and thinking Omar Cotter? Oh, absolutely. I've already, I've already had friends of mine. Uh, and people that I follow me on Twitter and, and, and other applications say it's just a matter of time before it gets to 10.5 million. That's what Canadians are telling me right now, that eventually this will go to the courts and somebody will say his rights were abused. You didn't do what you should have done to a Canadian. Pony up, write a check. This guy deserves it. So will we see the government of the day react to this to avoid that happening? Not before the election, we won't. And if the Conservatives win in October... Andrew Scheer has already stated, as, as have other members of the Conservative Party, that they will not bring back Jack Letts or anybody else for that matter. What the Trudeau government will do if it returns in October is anyone's guess. They certainly have been ragging the puck on this for a very long time for the reasons I already cited. This is a, this is a political no-brainer. Uh, no one's going to get up and down and yeah. shout for joy that jihadis are back in the country. So they know that. They know that it, 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 it's not a popular move amongst Canadians. Again, uh, considering what's happened with Omar Cotter and, and, and perhaps more of these people waiting in the wings, what's to stop everyone that wants to come back from bringing a case like this towards Canada, generating the publicity that Omar Cotter did, and the next thing you know, we're writing checks? There's nothing. This is why I, at the time when Cotter got his settlement, I, I categorically and very publicly called it a judicial abomination. This was a mistake that was made. The government did this. They didn't have to. I don't get it. And you're right. I mean, a precedent has been set. And when precedents are set, you know, as well as I do, Scott, precedents have a lot of power in terms of future judgment. Judges will say, you did it for Omar. You got to do it for Jack and Tony and Bill and Peter and, and Louise and whoever else wants to come back to Canada. If, if, if it's felt that Canada did not op- operate or act in a judicious manner, they get their 10.5. And I think that Canadians will be justifiably outraged at that. Uh, have the uh, Let's family talked about this? Surprised they haven't to date brought up Omar Cotter. Well, it's not in their interest, right? I mean, I just put out a piece on my website about, you know, what would I do if my kid joined ISIS? And it was, what's a parent's responsibility? Jack, Jack or John Letts and his wife, I don't know her name offhand, they're just trying to get their son back. And I, yeah. and I get that, yep. right? I mean, that's, that's what you do as a parent. You want to, you want to protect your kid. Yep. I don't know that they're seeing the whole story. I think they have blinders on in terms of what their son did. Certainly before he went to Iraq, there were, there were ample signs that he was radicalizing in the UK. In fact, the mosque went to the parents and said, your son's radicalizing. You might want to take his passport away. They ignored it and sponsored his trip. Hmm. But the parents are doing what they're doing. And for them to raise Omar Cotter is not a, 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 a an ace card in their sleeve, as far as I'm concerned. In fact, it's just going to make people not support them at all, because we all yeah. know how popular Omar Cotter is in this country, right? right. Um, is Jack Letts a, a risk to this country? Potentially. He certainly is alleged to have fought with Islamic State. 
He is alleged, well, more than alleged, he is believed to have radicalized the United Kingdom, which means at one point he did subscribe to this violent ideology. Does that mean he's going to come back and become a suicide bomber in, you know, in the Eaton Centre? I don't know, but he certainly could spread the ideology. He could influence others. It's hard to say what threat he poses. Not all of them come back and, and become suicide bombers or terrorists, but the fact is that it's really hard to extricate the ideology. It's really hard to de-radicalize somebody. He could act as inspiration. But look at Scott, how many attacks have we seen in the past six months where one attack inspires another? Mm. Christchurch, yeah. Pittsburgh, you know, um, El Paso. They're building on each other, and Jack Letts could definitely use what he saw if he still subscribes to the ideology to inspire others. So the, the threat he poses is really nebulous at this point. I don't know what it is. I'll tell you, it certainly isn't zero. But how you make the determination is a real challenge. What if Canada revokes his citizenship? The U.K. did it. Why shouldn't Canada do that? I don't think we can. And the simple reason is, I believe under international law, you can't render someone stateless. So, so the U.K. We, played the card first. Well, So they're off the hook, but Canada's stuck? If Canada had said, no, you're not a Canadian citizenship, we revoke that, uh, you have no Canadian citizenship, we revoke that first, would it not have been our problem but the U.K.'s? Yeah, but here, here's the problem, Scott, is we can't do that. The only grounds upon which you can revoke citizenship, this is my understanding, and again, I'm not a citizenship expert, is if the citizenship was obtained fraudulently, i.e., if you come to Canada and say, hi, I'm Scott, I'm a great guy, give me citizenship, and it turns out two months later we find out you're, you're an ex-Nazi from, you know, from World War II, we can revoke that because you lied on your application form. But there, my understanding is there's no other reason to revoke naturalized citizenship. Now, the fact that he's the son of a Canadian, I'm not even sure how that works. It seems to be automatic in my case. Maybe it shouldn't be automatic, but I, I don't understand the citizenship law enough to, to really answer your question, only knowing that um, my understanding is that there are very, very restricted circumstances under which citizenship can, in fact, be taken away. Are they different? Uh, why wouldn't, would the U.K. have had the same problems? Is it that much different between the U.K. and Canada? I, again, I don't yeah, understand yeah. U.K. law, but clearly they've yeah. done it. And in fact, Jack is just the, the most recent example of several cases where the United Kingdom has revoked citizenship for jihadis. And I, I believe in every case they are due, although in, the, in one case, I think they revoked citizenship despite the fact the person had only one citizenship. And the argument was, while the person's grandfather is, uh, I think it was Bangladeshi or something, that person, it was a woman actually, she can you know, fall back on her grandfather's Bangladeshi citizenship. Bangladeshi said, excuse me, she's not a citizen of Bangladesh, she's not our problem. So, you know, this dual citizenship, single citizenship, statelessness, it's a, it's a real legal, I think, conundrum. But uh, UK law clearly is very different than Canadian law in this regard. Uh, the fact, and again, I guess this is back to the court of public opinion, the fact that UK has revoked his citizenship, although laws may be different, he was born there. Is this case dead in the water for Canadians? Where do you, where do you see where do you see this going? I don't see it going anywhere before October, and I, I just I don't see because the government does not have a legal obligation to do anything. They can they can rag this puck for as long as they want yeah. because. Who's going to force them to do anything? And as you said, uh, it's a no-win situation no matter what the government does in terms of facilitating or not facilitating his return. It, it, they're not going to gain from this. So uh, the best action is no action. The best action is inaction. And that's what I would predict would go forward. Unless some court steps in and says, thou shalt do this. And maybe that I mean, we've seen bizarre court rulings in the past in this country. Maybe we'll see another one. Phil Gursky has been with us, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. BorealisThreatAndRiskConsulting.com to find out more. Phil, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Have a good one. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Two BC murder suspects reportedly used a cell phone to record their last will and testament before taking their own lives in the northern Manitoba uh, wilderness. We remember how this story uh, gripped the nation for several days. Uh, let's bring in Christy Lee, podcast host of the Canadian True of Canadian True Crime, and she is with us now. Christy, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Tell us about Canadian True Crime, the podcast. (laughs) Well, it's just a podcast where each episode I talk about a true crime case in Canada. And it's basically, I talk, it's a storytelling podcast. So I kind of tell a narrative and it's got background music. And I'm known for taking a deep dive and for honoring the victims of, of the crimes and the survivors. Uh, yeah. Let's take a deep dive into this. Uh, give us an update on this case. What can you tell us about this video that's been found? Yeah, well, it's all very mysterious. So reports came out yesterday by the Star Vancouver um, that there was a video made on the phone that was left near the bodies that shows the last will and testament of Ken McLeod and Bryce Migelski. I always have issues pronouncing that. Um It reportedly shows them saying their goodbyes and describing the last wishes for their remains, but it's all very mysterious. A family member told the star and said that the RCMP are in possession of the full video recording, but apparently the families were only shown 30 seconds or so of the video. And the media has reached out to the RCMP, but they haven't confirmed Uh, the existence of the video, and other family members also haven't confirmed it. So it's it's a little a little mysterious. Uh, but this di- this story broke because a member of the family said that they had been shown it, or members of the fa- did, did this person who reported this had they seen the video, or just reported that other members of the family, the parents, had seen it? Yeah, they haven't seen it themselves. They just reported right. that other family members had seen around 30 seconds of it. So we don't know how long the video goes for, and we don't know anything more other than that because the person that spoke to the media did not actually see it themselves. And do we know the relation of this person that talked about it to the family? What is their relationship to the family? Do we know? No, I, I personally do not know. <laughs> so is there any to any reason to believe there is or is not a video? Do you think there is one? It's just that obviously this is being kept under wraps until police continue their investigation. Is there any reason yeah. not? Is there any reason to believe there isn't a video, I guess, is my question. Yeah, I would believe that there is a video. Um, and, you know, the RCMP are notoriously tight-lipped about things and generally don't release information until they're 100% confident and have told all of the concerned stakeholders. Um, so I would say that the fact they haven't come out and said that a video does not exist probably confirms that it's, it does exist. But I guess... Um, maybe we'll find out exactly what was in it later on, or maybe not. <laughs> uh, any idea, did anybody say, or, or this person that, that, that talked to the family member that had seen it, uh, any idea um, what was on the 30 seconds that they saw? All that the media is reporting is that it was the last will and testament, and that it had them saying goodbyes and describing the la- their last wishes for their remains. Um It's not known publicly whether they actually spoke about the crimes. And there are several um, outstanding questions that the public 
really wants to know. You know, one of them is what is the motive for China mm. Geese and Luca Fowler's death? What happened there? How did they come across them? And actually, last week, one of China's brothers said that he does not expect the RCMP to provide a definitive explanation on why they were shot. Um, so, according to that, as of last week, even the families don't know. Hmm. Um, so we we don't know uh, what their wishes were or what they requested on this thirty seconds video. We don't have that information, no, do we? No, we uh, do not. Uh, any idea how long this video was? Uh, did they? Do, do you get the impression that this this person only saw a portion of it? You talked about thirty seconds. Um, uh, is that a large portion of it? Is that most of it, or just a small? Do we know? Honestly, the details are as much as a sentence and. Mm. I don't know who this person is or um, how they are connected other than being a family member. But, yeah, they just they said that the families have seen 30 seconds of the video, did not say how long it goes for, and they themselves have not seen it. So, um, yeah, it certainly is a piece of information that begs further questions. Uh, and obviously, and I'm just uh, tracing back here to what you said, um, uh, other members of the family, uh, when asked about this, um, are silent. There's nobody else that has confirmed anything that, uh, that this person has said. No, unfortunately, nobody is saying anything. They're just not commenting. They're not responding. The RCMP is not responding. There's no com- confirmations. There's no denials. So I guess it's a game of wait and see at this point. Uh, is there any reason to believe that we will see this video? Oh, considering that had... considering the case ended the way that it did, it's not like these person these people were caught and then tried and put in jail, and eventually it all comes out. Uh, do you think we will see them? Personally, I think we probably will not see the video um, unless there is a good reason for the RCMP to release it, and unless the uh, the family members of uh, you know, the two men that made the video uh, say it's okay to release it and possibly even the family members of the victims would might need to have a say as well. Um, but there is there is no real reason for the public to know about this other than if the RCMP decides that, that there is a particular reason. So I would probably say that we, we likely will not get to see this video and we may not find out what was in it. Uh, this case is not closed yet, is it? I mean, the fact that these two alleged um, uh, uh, shooters are, are now dead, that does not close the case. Because many ask why, if everybody you know has, has passed, why are we investigating this? It, but this still is very much an active investigation, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got several different um, policing agencies in two different provinces that have to work together. Um, there's evidence being analysed and tested. And as we know, these results kind of take take a lot of time um, to get them right. And the RCMP will not release details of the investigation until they have the whole picture of what's gone on. And even then, they might not release details. They might just decide to tell the families. So it's really... At this point, a case of wait and see, and hopefully um, the RCMP know more than what they're telling us about the motive for the murder of China Deese and Lucas Fowler. We know they were killed by gunshot, but we don't know why, and we don't know how they came across um, Briar and Schmigelski. And also uh, Leonard Dick, the 64-year-old university lecturer, the third man who Mm. died, uh, we do not know how he died. 
but we just know that he died. Right, we yeah. also don't know a motive there. So there are a lot of unanswered questions here, and um, I would assume that in order to find to get justice or closure, if there is anything that resembles closure in this for the families, that the RCMP will continue to investigate as as far as they possibly can, and then when they get these results back, hopefully we might get to find out some of them, we being the public. But I would never assume. Uh, Christy Lee is with his podcast host of the of Canadian True Crime. Uh, uh, Christy, we, you talked about motives, and way back when, when this when the manhunt was going on, many Canadians were trying to figure out why or how or you know anybody would be involved in anything like this. Uh, do you think the backgrounds of these two uh, men will reveal anything more about the motive? I hope so. I mean, we don't know much about Cam McLeod. Um, his his Social media was pretty locked down and private, but Briar Schmigelski was active in the online gaming community and had an open Facebook page. And a lot of information was gleaned from those two um, platforms about his interest in right-wing and Nazi media and symbolism. Um, and also, you know, we've all seen photographs of him wearing his full cam- camouflage and his um, interest in... Uh, firearms. So I'm, I'm not sure what will happen in terms of finding out why this happened or what the motives are. Um, but I, I would definitely suggest that um, it is something to do with um, them feeling like outsiders and loners. It, it's probably something along those lines. Right. Uh, do you think or have you heard anything uh, as far as the contents of this video, we talked about their last will and testament. Do you think one of the reasons, is it possible that this video actually contains footage of them committing suicide? Um, Any reason to believe that? <laughs> that? It would just be speculation at this point. Um, I would say probably not. I would say it's probably a uh, the kind of last set of tasks that they did before they um, they died by suicide, and uh, I, I doubt very much that they would have recorded that live. Uh, any any chatter of their moods in the video, their their behavior, disposition, um, their state of mind, any of that? No, a- absolutely nothing. Um, and it, it would be really hard to, to speculate on whether they're in a frenzy or whether they've found peace um, <laughs> as much as you possibly could. I mean, they're out in the wilderness and they're responsible for the deaths of three people, according to the RCMP. So, um, yeah, that it'll be interesting to see if any further details come out about this video. Uh, any more, anything more or any new information on their last few days? Um, any idea on a, um, a time of death? Uh, th- this trail seemed to go cold in the last uh, few days of this manhunt. Do, they, do, do police figure that this had happened several days before? How, how close were police to them? Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of um, uh, ambiguity going on with this. So they, the police did release the autopsy uh, information that confirmed that they died uh, suicide by gunfire, and they said that they were deceased a number of days before they were found. But the exact time and, and date of their death uh, is not known. So 
I'm not sure if they're still investigating that or if their bodies were at a stage where they couldn't um, estimate it. Um, but they were de- certainly dead a couple of days before their bodies were found. So at this point, not a lot of information, again, has come out about what they were doing in those final days. But we do know that um, the police found the the boat wreckage and then a couple of items and then their bodies were located not far from where those items were found. So that that's about where we're up to with that. Um, how much information do you think we will still uh, receive after this comes to an occlusion? Uh, the RCMP have suggested that there will be some sort of conclusion or wrap-up uh, for this. Um, are citizens still gripped by this case? Do citizens still want to know what happened? Absolutely. Every, yeah, everybody who's been following this wants, wants answers. It's, it's human nature to want to find out why um, and how. Um, we we still don't know these answers. And while the RCMP have promised to update the families and the public as their investigation continues, they did not promise to update us with everything. And, you know, as I said before, one of China's brothers um, says that he they have the family members have not been provided with an explanation as to why China and Lucas Fowler were both shot. So even the family members uh, get kept in the dark sometimes, whether or not it's because the RCMP doesn't know or if they're um, trying to make sure they're confident in the details before they pass that information on. It, I, I have no idea. Um, but certainly there is a lot of public interest around this case and, and people do want answers, but at the same time, we're not necessarily entitled to them. Um, many times police are hushed because there is an ongoing investigation and then an impending trial. Because yeah. these these two suspects are dead, there is going to be no trial. Are you concerned that the information may not get out because of that reason? Yeah, I, I think there's a definite possibility and there is um, precedent for the RCMP not releasing information in cases like this. Um, if it doesn't serve the public interest or if it's not something that the families want to raise awareness for, um, the families may just decide that they want to keep the information to themselves if the RCMP chooses to tell them what they know. So, yeah, at this point, it's anybody's guess as to how much information the public will uh, will be given and how much of our how much of our questions will actually be answered. It's a wait-and-see game at this point. Uh, do you think the RCMP are concerned about copycats if they re- if they release too much information? Yeah, I, I'm sure that, that that is always a factor that they take into consideration, especially in these um, this day and age where there is so much social media activity and it certainly did uh, impact the public's behaviour, especially when it came down to... Uh, rumours of these two being cited in northern Ontario and then the RCMP had to come out and say stop speculating. So, yeah, I'm sure that that certainly comes into play um, with this type of thing because there are copycat killers around that do it for the fame and the notoriety and, yeah, that would that would be a factor. The two BC murder suspects reportedly used a cell phone to record a last will and testament before taking their own lives in the northern Manitoba wilderness. Of course, a manhunt that gripped the nation for several days. Christy Lee has been with us, podcast host of Canadian True Crime. Christy, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck with the podcast. Great. Thank you, Scott. Have a great day. You too. 
The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.